This is RDQI. Hey, Ryan. So I, I would imagine that, like most people, you use your phone quite a bit. It's it's almost a you know an extension of your arm. I'm I'm literally <laughs> so holding my phone right now. Um, but you know you could still lose it. You could still you know you gotta gotta pick it up. Mm-hmm. It'd be a lot easier to just you know stick that phone in your brain. Would you be comfortable with taking your phone software and putting it into your brain? Oh man. Uh, no, not in its current format. Not at all. Um, I'm not much of a social media user per se. I still do, but not like, you know, not a heavy user. I don't want that software anywhere near to my actual, you know, biological neural network. I, yeah, I'd I'd pass on that. Now, I mean, certain things, maybe certain aspects of my phone or what's on my phone or what's available to my phone. Yeah, maybe you'd have to convince me, but I, I could... I could start thinking about it. How, I mean, how about you? I mean, I would say, well, to me, I mean, I, I, my my gut tells me, no, I agree with you. Abs- oh, absolutely not. I don't want that thing in my brain. Um, but I was thinking about this earlier today. And I mean, how far away is that reality or that future really? Because, I mean, you know, think about it. Your phone is near your, you know, by your side or in your hand a lot of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't you don't think your phone's not in your neural network in some way? It absolutely is. Sure. Oh yeah. So I mean, what? How is it worse to have it in your brain? To me, you're you're still going to be using the same, you know, using it in the same way that you're using it now. It's just easier. Sure, and I mean, <clears throat> I mean, fortunately, both you and I are in a healthy enough state that we don't need this technology. But I mean, if you have heart problems in a particular v- version of heart problems. You might have a pacemaker installed, which is not too far from what we're talking about. Basically, something that manly controls your heartbeat, a device that does that for you. That kind of sounds like what we're talking about here. So I would get a pacemaker. Yeah, right. Like if a doctor doctor sat me down and was like, "Uh, you can either live for like maybe a year or we can extend your life and here's a pacemaker. I would almost, I would say nine times out of ten in this situation, I'm going with the pacemaker. Yeah, and I think it's we, nobody's ever bat an eye at that because, of course, you know, you know nobody gets a pacemaker unless they need it, need it to save their life, right? <laughs> right, right. I assume. Yeah, they're not augmenting um, their intelligence with like installing an encyclopedia in their brain. It's a totally different thing. But you can also take a step back and, and think of a pacemaker as making your heart more efficient. And you can also think of putting a search bar into your brain where you can access, you know, not only your own memory stores, but the collective memory stores of the of humanity, which is the Internet, essentially, as just an augmentation of your brain capacity. Sure. I guess, how is it really different? You know, that's a great question. I think it's interesting because I think in you know, the history of like cyborgs or like cyber kinetics is really what we're talking about, which is a loosely, it's a somewhat ambiguous field, (laughs) but I mean like, you know, prosthetics would fit into this too, right? You know, if you're like to go to history, if you're in the civil war and your leg gets blown off and 
you happen to survive it because medicine is good enough to keep you alive, but not good enough to save your leg. You know, you you might be lucky enough to get a prosthetic and therefore you can walk again or at least walk somewhat again. And that's a pretty that's a pretty good thing, but it's out of necessity. It's not out of like increasing the efficiency of a fully healthy human. So I think that's kind of where we might be in in terms of human history is thinking it's not just about fixing problems, you know, fixing um, poor health or missing limbs, but maybe we can use this to just augment a normally healthy, whatever that means exactly, a normally healthy person. That's, that is different. That's a different way to slice the problem. Ah, uh, you just got my brain working a little bit because, you know, if I think about what a cyborg is to me, a cyborg is, um, you know, like a biological organism that is melded with some sort of machine to enhance its ability or capacity or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would never think of somebody with a prosthetic limb or a pacemaker as being a cyborg, but somebody with a phone embedded in their head getting closer. But and, but I guess what is the difference? And I don't know if necessity is is the is the difference necessarily. I mean, I think there, are, you know, pacemaker for instance is something that we okay. This person will die if they don't have some sort of machine helping their heart to function. Mm-hmm. But a prosthetic limb, that person can absolutely function without that limb. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, to a degree. Sure. So I, Yes, but it's a different, it's not, it's, I, I still argue it's more of a necessity than a phone, absolutely, but it's not, it still is more of a, uh, a want than a need, I would say. Um, so I guess, I guess what, I don't know, what, what, what at what point do we, do we overdo it and become cyborgs? <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny you bring it up, the cultural aspect. I think cyborg is kind of a, it's a bad word, you know, like it's the, the bad guy in the movie is a cyborg, right? So in Terminator, yep. you know, when you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's not technically a cyborg because he's a, a machine through and through. He's an android, I'm right? A cybernetic or- he's a cybernetic <laughs> organism, living living tissue over metal and exos. Ah, shoot. I used to know it. <laughs> <laughs> right. That wasn't a favorite movie of mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a great way to explain it, though. A cybernetic organism, which is where we get the word cyborg. Um, the bad guy is the cyborg. You know, no one ever mentions that Iron Man is a cyborg. No one ever talks about the fact that Inspector Gadget was a cyborg, right? Because they're the good guys, you know? <laughs> but So there's yeah. kind of like, there's it's almost a pejorative term. Like to be a cyborg is to be other, to be evil, to be, to be whatever, right? And so no one, you don't, you know, grandpa, grandma, they get a, a pacemaker you don't call them like, oh, hey, how's it going, cyborg? That that would be mean. That would be rude. That would be unkind, at least in the cultures you and I grown up in. I don't even think it would be understandable. So, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right, well, right, sure. So I think what you're kind of getting at is cyborgs, using the term cyborg is kind of pejorative, right? It's kind of negative. It's calling someone other. But we choose not to use that particular word with people where it's like, no, but this is, you know, this this intervention, medically speaking, whatever it is, is actually helping them live a better and more full and complete life, right? Like, 
giving someone a wheelchair, no one's going to be like, <laughs> who is this? Who's giving this guy who can't walk a wheelchair? Like, no one's going to be upset about that, right? Because it's, it's, it's nice to help someone else out, of course. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you're helping someone who is, shall we say, fully normal, whatever that is, and you're just accentuating some aspect of them, you're augmenting some aspect of them beyond what a normal human is. And it's not so much a decision based in empathy and sympathy, but more based in like, I don't know, I wouldn't say greed, but it could be greed. I think that flips the switch and all of a sudden, nope, that person's a cyborg. That person is using human knowledge for, for, you know, for ill will. I think that's kind of the, the tipping point maybe. You know, in that way, maybe cyborg is a good term for us to keep in the lexicon because um, I, I think I think back to to this the show Archer, which I know both you and I watched. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they they play they play around with that term a lot because <laughs> yeah. one of the one of the characters in the show they basically <laughs> you know um, replace every, like they they build him into a machine and he becomes like the evil villain of the show mm-hmm. um and they call him a cyborg but then there's a number of other characters who have you know like one of archer's love interests becomes essentially the same thing as as bionic barry you know the evil mm-hmm. the character uh but but he calls her a cyborg and she's like oh, i'm sorry i didn't mean that because in the in the show they're kind of poking fun at the fact that cyborg means you're you're evil whereas right. you know this other character, same same situation, but is a you know using her powers for good is not a cyborg. So maybe if we you know like like most technologies that border um, you know that that seek to that can that can both help human beings experience normal lives who don't who otherwise wouldn't be able to, but has the capacity to go so much far beyond or so much further beyond that. It's very difficult to make a black and white um, to, to to draw the line as to where is too far. Right. But if we have something like cyborg, it's sort of like a self-regulating term. You know, we can continue to push the envelope in terms of augmenting human beings with technology, but when it goes too far, that person's a cyborg. <laughs> right, right. There's such a moralizing tone. And that's what. Yeah. Right. Right, I mean, because but I think it, it sort of lets humanity kind of regulate itself or regulate the ethics on that technology in a way. Uh, that's not an, a perfect way, but right. But it is a method for doing so. I mean, because I mean, if depending on how you wanted to argue the case, you could say anyone wearing glasses is a cyborg. I mean, they are augmenting their yep. abilities with a piece of technology. Someone wearing shoes could be a cyborg. Now, I think you're. That would be a very incredibly semantic argument, but you could make that argument. It's possible because I think that's a just a defining feature of being a human is we use technology constantly, always. We we'd rather think about a way to solve the problem, and then to create the solution that solves the problem than actually just solving the problem, right? Which is a great thing because then you learn like, oh, if I make shoes, I can my feet can handle all these different terrains. And then, of course, great things happen because of that. So, are humans innately cyborg? Then, uh, no, I no, I don't. I, I think um, if you 
to take an extreme example, if you go to you know the Amazon and go to one of those uncon- uncontacted tribes, sure. Well, maybe. I mean, I think even there, they're you know they're using, using tools, technology, making shoes, right? Which okay, that's that's yeah. one that's one point of distinction I'm not clear about in terms of the the vocabulary. Is is using a spear? Is using a bow and arrow? Is that does that make you a cyborg? Or do you need to actually so, connect that tool to your biology, like permanently, for you to become a cyborg? Yeah, he, I wasn't. Cl- I wasn't clear in my research on what the differentiation was there. Where where I draw the line is, it has to be integrated into your your physiology in some way. That, yeah, like it can't be removed necessarily. Right. So holding a, a smartphone doesn't make so, you a cyborg. Is what we're saying. Yeah, holding a spear doesn't make you holding a spear does not make you a cyborg, but replacing your arm with the spear makes you a cyborg. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, I I'm good with that definition. Spear arms. (laughs) (laughs) Wildly impractical. Yep. For anything other than hunting fish. Well, depending Um, on where you live. (laughs) So. I mean, obviously, having a spear arm is pretty useless. Um, besides making maybe a good movie, um, but there are a lot of ways where we can, as a species, we can take this concept of cyberkinetics, this idea, which is so to kind of like try and tie a bow around cyberkinetics, or sorry, cybernetics. I've been misspeaking this whole time. So cybernetics essentially is the idea that you can scientifically study the way an organism or a machine or a specific, like even a superorganism, like in the case of bees, the way that that entity controls and communicates amongst itself, right? So it's a very vague, broad term. You can use it in almost any field. A lawyer is engaged in this. A statistician is engaged in this. Uh, a baseball manager is engaged in this, right? So it's it's kind of a catch-all, and because it's so vague, I don't think we use it that much. But because it led to the word cyborg, it's kind of in our vernacular, if you will. What I think is interesting is, and always lo- wonderful, is when people take this concept and be like, well, how can we help, you know, like the least of these, the people who are in the worst situation? How can we use these new ideas to help them? And one way that... Um, in particular, that I found just fascinating was this process of epidural stimulation, and it's not. I'm not. I'm not too up to date on this. I've read two articles, so I know enough to talk a little bit about it. But if you're really curious about what we're talking about, I would highly recommend you just look it up yourself and go down the rabbit hole. But basically, the idea is this: if you have a spinal cord injury, let's say somewhere in the lower lumbar spine. There's a physical impact collision. It affects the physiology of your spine and the way your neural networks work in that area. You become paralyzed from, let's say, the waist down because of that injury, right? Essentially, the issue, as far as I can understand it, is that the brain, when it's sending the signals to the leg muscles to move, basically because of this particular injury, that signal just gets chopped off at some point and it just never gets to the muscles. So even if you have, and obviously this depends on the kind of injury you have, but for the most part, if you have a spinal cord injury, everything below the injury is probably neurologically fine. It's just that there's one break point in the communication so the chain can never be completed. So this process 
of epidural stimulation is basically inserting, let's just say, like electrical nodes into the body to stimulate particular nerves and like actually have like a battery back installed into the human. And it can help people walk again after sustaining spinal cord injuries. That to me is amazing. And it's a, it's a very nascent field that's still new. So like people, like it's not like the kind of thing where you put this in and like you wake up from the surgery and you're like, oh, cool, I can just walk again. That's not quite how it works. There's a lot of mm -hmm. physical therapy involved in everything. But the fact that we have figured out a way to correct that problem just blows my mind. It's unbelievable that we can accomplish that as a species. Now, do you think that that is an overuse of that technology? Nah, no, because I'm so altruistic. I would say no. No, you're helping someone yeah. who's been well, disabled, yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. It's a, a bit of a leading question. Like, I, I, I don't think anybody would have much to argue about against that. You know, that's not an overreach of technology. That's helping somebody to walk again. You'd have to have a pretty cold you know, heart, who, yeah, to pull that one off. Right, who would deny somebody that? But going back to our phone example, which I think a lot more mm -hmm. people would be willing to deny someone, if, yep. if I think about it, if I just kind of com compare the, 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 you know, the two, what you, so, so right now, phone is a, is a is a tool but it's an external tool. Right. If we operate under the assumption that what a phone can do is fine, which I think we all do. I mean, you know, may, there's obviously some some issues that we have with technology in general, but um, having a, you know, a search bar where you can kind of search the database of the world at your fingertips um, if we for a minute, ignore some of the issues with it. Like it's generally a good thing. It's not sure. Doesn't make somebody a cyborg necessarily. Yeah, it's not perfect, but, but it it's is still pretty good. external. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's not embedded in your neural network, though. You you have an impulse that you want to know something, and then you execute an external function. You that it the the machine, independent of you, comes up with the answer, and then you take that in. When if you put the phone in your head, though, you are doing something similar to what you just described you are you are putting a piece of technology in between or or integrating it into your neural or physiological network right so that an impulse like within your within your body can say hey search opens up the search engine within your brain comes up with the answer and then integrates it back but it's but it's now fully integrated between functions in your in your body. Yeah, okay. I hear you and I hear where you're going. But I mean, I would personally attest to this that I have autonomically interacted with my phone without even thinking about what I'm doing. All right, like I've opened <clears throat> you name it. I've opened Instagram, I've opened Google and searched for whatever. Like flipped through the news almost without thinking. Like I know that physically the phone is in my hand, therefore it's external of my body. But I've personally been to a place where like, yeah, I just kind of interact with my phone without even thinking about what I'm actually doing. So how much of a difference, I mean, I think there is a difference, but how much of a difference is there between the two? Of having a phone literally in your body and a phone that's from a conscious level might as well be inside your body already anyways. 
Well, that's that's sort of what I was what the conclusion I came to as I was thinking about it a little bit more deeply. You know, earlier today is I I don't know if it, it you know it really is external to us. I mean, what you were just describing is it, it already is kind of a part of your physiology if your autonomic response is to go check your phone. You know, putting it in your brain seems like a formality at this point. It just makes things a little easier, but it's already there. You know, try and go try and go forty eight hours without your phone. You'll realize real quick how accustomed you you have gotten to to having that thing around. Man, isn't that the truth? It's wonderful though. If you've uh, if you haven't listeners, I would recommend if you can find a time to do it. Spend twenty four hours without a phone, man. It's pretty it's pretty interesting how life changes when you can't access the internet readily. You know, I actually, at one point, I, I removed all kind of social media apps from my phone. So I, it basically only functioned as a, it's a phone, <laughs> um, text message and phone calls. And what I realized is I, like the first maybe two or three days that I did that, I would find myself picking up my phone and looking for something and realizing, oh, there's nothing here. Why did I pick up my phone? Right. It wasn't a conscious decision. It was, a, it was an autonomic response. Right. And maybe that's a good point. Maybe that's where the difference is. As long When the phone is can be left out of your hand, right? It's not inside your body. At least you can leave it somewhere or forget it or intentionally say like, you know, I'm going to put my phone in the you know, the entryway to my abode, my apartment, my home, and just leave it there. Whereas once it's implanted in you, that's not coming out. Probably not, at least. You've committed yeah. at that point. Yeah, but I mean, you'd be able to turn it off. I mean, I would assume. I don't know. I don't know. Would, I would you? I, 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 see, I, I would, but but I don't, I don't know if I recognize all that much of a difference because, yeah, you could leave your phone, you know, for a while, but realistically, you can't walk away from that phone forever. You can take a break from it, but every part of your livelihood or many parts of your livelihood, you know, at this point in time revolve around that phone, you, you know. It's it's almost it's almost like we're deluding ourselves when we go on a camping trip and we don't bring our phones. Like, oh yeah, we're free. Like you're not free. You're not free of that thing forever. You're taking a break, but you're going back to it. We all know you are. <laughs> right. So if you put it in your head with the ability to turn it off, how is that any different? Yeah, I wonder if people, you know, back in the old days when literacy wasn't common, I wonder if people thought the same thing about books. They're like, oh, you think you're so high and mighty because you can read those those letters and those books and you think you know everything. I wonder if the same kind of mentality was applied to like people who are fearful of the internet and of technology, which I think is a natural fear in and of itself. Fear of um, something new. Yeah. But I wonder if that was the same or similar back then. But let me throw a curveball into the mix here. Because... Obviously, we're talking about augmenting humans, and there's one little tangent that I sent you some stuff kind of in the lead-up to this recording about. But when it comes to... So, <clears throat> let's think about it this way. Let's jump over to the world of nanobots for a second. So, nanobots is the idea of having very small robots that can automate, be automated and control a lot of like simple, basic things. Right? So, like if you have a Roomba at your house, that's like an early predecessor, an early dinosaur to the idea of nanobots. 
eventually we were going to probably have a bunch of little nanobots to just clean your house for you, right? The tiny little things that crawl around everywhere, clean up whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. The problem is, well, not the problem, the opportunity that some people have, particularly biologists have discovered, is that building nanobots, little tiny robots, is really difficult and very expensive. What is less difficult and less expensive, although somewhat grotesque and really off-putting, is the idea of taking a bug, let's say, I don't know, a cockroach, and then implanting technology into the cockroach so you can control the cockroach because its physiology is better than any robot we can build ourselves. So there have been experiments and things shown, this is a video I shared with Dave, of cockroaches who have been implanted with basically things that control them. So a computer can control the movements and the actions of a cockroach. Would you ever buy a pack of cockroaches to clean your apartment? (laughs) Uh, I have to be honest with you. When you sent me that video, I was very perplexed at first. I, I was it appears to be live cockroaches, but it can't be. Um, and then when I realized that it was, all I could think of was, this is, no, no, this is so gross. <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that they're cockroaches really doesn't help. But the scientists behind it were very I know, particular. if it was a rabbit. Well, they're very particular. They're like, cockroaches are the perfect bug for our use case. And it's unfortunate, but... It's like another, it's another strike yeah, I mean, cockroach's belt. Like they could survive anything, right? You know, a nuclear blast, no problem. You know, global warming, they'd probably yeah. be fine. And now they can also, they're the best, best organism for cybernetic intrusion. But if you had shown me the same video, but it was like a bunch of adorable chipmunks, I would love a bunch of adorable chipmunks running around my house like, doing my laundry and cleaning <laughs> up the kitchen. It would be great. Sure, sure. I mean, it, but it'd be a little bit strange that they were like living creatures underneath that that have been, Well, know. right. But there is a use case for it. I mean, I, I know for a fact that the U.S. military, um, I, I should say the U.S. Department of Defense, has basically, so using this similar techno- technological idea, basically installs a camera and motor controls into a cockroach for the for the use case or the experimentation of like okay this building has collapsed let's go search for survivors what better to use than a cockroach with a camera on it like i couldn't think of a better solution right yeah, and it's way cheaper yeah. than trying to build a mm-hmm. robot that can emulate that now i don't know if this technology is actually in use i know that it is a part of it's in the experimental phase at the very least but like, what a what an interesting way to try and solve a problem. It's creepy and weird, but I mean, if if your life was saved because some cockroach with a camera found you buried in under a building, I don't think you'd be like, I hate cockroaches. I wish, I wish no one had ever installed a camera in a cockroach. Like, I don't think that would cross your brain anymore. No. Do Do you think though that that's a that's a so. I, I can't get past the ethical implications of trying to implement something like that on a wide spectrum, right? Because you are essentially you are essentially hijacking, usurping the consciousness of another living creature 
to basically serve humanity. Um, I, I get, you know, cockroach is a little bit. You could just say you're enslaving. Yeah, I, a cockroach might be a little bit more palatable than an, a chipmunk, but you know, cat, a dog, a dolphin. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, <laughs> right? you can quickly see like where this becomes a problem. I think it's even a problem with cockroaches. I don't like the idea of like these are sentient beings that are just being controlled. Like the, what it's literally a living hell if they still retain any kind of consciousness. Right, just because we can't um, understand the consciousness consciousness of a cockroach doesn't mean that it doesn't possibly exist. So who are we to yeah, just be I like, mean, apply, hey, cockroach, go and do what I say you to tell you to do. <laughs> apply that same technology to like other human beings and you have like one of the worst humanity atrocities atrocities, you know. And that's around. That's a legitimate concern. But do you think it's a it's That's a, the darker side, but yeah. Well, so so I I kind of see it as a um um, a, a stepping so so the reason that we're trying that like that technology is is being pursued is because our 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 understanding of physiology even at the level of a cockroach is still kind of infantile right I mean we we really don't understand we don't have a comprehensive understanding of how the body does what it does we have a very good understanding I mean you know think about like what medical science is able to do but there's so much about how our body operates that <laughs> right. scientists can cannot explain yeah so much so much more than they can explain than they can and just a reminder because this is the theme of RDQI Tylenol no one knows how Tylenol does what it does. We just know that it does what it does. <laughs> just to reiterate that point, yep. and yet we use it every day probably. So even if we don't know why something works, we're still going to do it though as a species. Like obvi- like that's something that we do. Humans always do that. Yeah. So. Well, but it's like, okay, we, we're taking the technology that we have and we're applying it on top of this other piece of quote unquote technology, like a living organism. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we're basically piggybacking off of a technology we don't understand to, to, to make something incredible. But do you think that we ultimately get to a point where we, we just understand how the cockroach operates instead of just using it. And then we just build purely synthetic cockroaches or maybe something a little bit less disgusting to to be our nanobots well that's a i mean that's a great that's a technology question right because it's a i mean if we had the ability to manufacture something that replicates all the benefits that a cockroach the you know the biology that a cockroach can exhibit yeah maybe at that point as long as the you know the the cost analysis works out sure maybe we would do that so it might be cheaper to augment a living cockroach than to build one from scratch, even even if we get to the point where we actually can. But you know, the one the one I, I see it as a benefit. It's a messy, messy benefit, but mm. there is a collective uh morality that's surfaced within humanity because of the internet i don't know if we i don't know if that collective morality will allow for us to breed animals to then basically 
control. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I don't see that sitting well with most people. Um, I don't even see it sitting very well as a tool to get from A to B. And by A, I mean where we are. And B, I mean being able to synthesize a living organism like a cockroach. Mm, sure. But if we look back at scientific progress throughout humanity, a lot of what we consider essential technologies today have come from experimentation that is, you know, questionable at best and <laughs> yep. ab- abhorrent at worst, yep. right? Um, I, mo- I, I, would, I would venture to say most things, especially in the medical field. A- and so, so there might be a lot of backlash against trying to experiment on cockroaches or other living creatures in this way to try and understand and, and to be able to build, understand physiology better and be able to, to replicate it synthetically. But do you think that it, it is necessary to do that kind of experimentation to build out the the technologies that could absolutely change humanity forever. 